Grab your popcorn and goobers. It's time for Motherhood in Hollywood with your host, Heather Brooker. This is a crude prude's perspective on being a full-time mom in showbiz. She's not a perfect mom, but she can play one on TV. Hold on to your butts. Here's Heather. Hey guys, it's episode 11 of Motherhood in Hollywood. I'm Heather Brooker, and um, there has been a lot happening in my world. You guys, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, today's guest on the show is Dr. Yelda Uhl. She's an award-winning child psychologist and author from UCLA. And we are going to talk today about social media and its impact on our kids, as well as how it's affecting some of the parents out there. Uh, when I decided several months ago to start Motherhood in Hollywood, the podcast and occasional blog, as I like to call it, um, I struggled a lot with how much I wanted to put out there about my daughter Channing and about her um, life and her development and her growth and you know the things she's going through. Uh, after all, there would be no motherhood in Hollywood without me being a mom and uh, to Channing. So she's a big part of this show. But man, I really struggle with how much of her life I want to put out there for the world to hear and see and I know a lot of other moms do too and um you know if you're uh if you're a godparent and you have godchildren or grandparents with grandchildren you know these anytime you have kids in your life you um you should or maybe you don't I don't know maybe you don't question how much you're putting out there about them but I certainly do so this is a topic today that is very near and dear to my heart it's something I've been wanting to talk about for quite some time, and I'm so grateful that Dr. Uhls uh, took the time to come on and talk about this and answer all my many questions, and she also has a book coming out called Media Moms and Digital Dads. We talk about that a little bit as well, and you'll have to forgive me. I have a little bit of a cold that seems to be going around. You know, they say when you put your child in preschool that uh, they start getting sick and illnesses, and wouldn't you know it, she's been in there for a week, and I already have a cold, and uh, so does she. So good times, everybody. Apparently, preschools and daycares are just big, germ-infested. <coughs> See, I can't even say it without coughing. Big cesspools of germs. and ugh. Anyway, we can't just, like, um, hose them down every time they walk in the door. What was that movie where... Meryl Streep had to go through like radiation cleansing. Um, Silkwood, I think is what it was. <laughs> okay, that might that might be a little bit of an extreme, the scrubbing down of, of radiation from preschool. But, um, <laughs> excuse me, maybe some hand sanitizer is definitely in order. So put that out there. Um, thank you guys again so much for um, all the responses I've been getting on Twitter. We have several new Twitter followers. I want to just give a quick shout out to a few of them. Crystal McLean, Sheila Berry, uh, Kurt Carlson, Adam Barker, a couple of guys. There's some um, really supportive men in this world who are enjoying my podcast and I couldn't be more pleased. So thanks guys. Appreciate you. Uh, I know you're there. I know you're listening. And um, what else do we want to talk about? Oh yeah, you guys. It's a big deal. Tomorrow, um, or I guess I should say the 15th, is the last day for you to enter the Motherhood in Hollywood Honest Company Bath Time Bundle giveaway. You want to make sure you go on iTunes and give us the show a quick review. It can be good or bad. Um, just do it by September 15th. And then on the following week, on the 21st, I will announce the winner on the show. I think I said last week it was going to be live, but I didn't mean live, obviously. Uh, I meant I would be doing it live in my office <laughs> saying saying who won that so make sure you go on itunes and enter uh by giving us a quick review and um if you like the show please share it with a friend uh mih podcast on twitter and motherhood in hollywood also you guys i'm totally addicted to periscoping are you on periscope um if you are you're missing out on some really cool motherhood in hollywood uh tidbits because i have been periscoping the crap out of stuff well i'm trying to anyway it's really cool. I'm kind of addicted to it. It's it's this weird sort of virtual, like, uh, well, not even virtual. Like, you're watching other people's lives live as it's happening. And you can text them, interact with them, and they can talk back to you. And it's um, 
kind of a cool thing. So if you're not on Periscope, go on Periscope and uh, find me at MIH Podcast over there, and you can keep up with the latest happenings. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I have a really wonderful guest on today. She is a wealth of information on social media uh, pertaining to parents and children and how we should all strive to behave. I don't think it's a um, definitive, you must do this uh, in order to have a healthy social media life, but it certainly is some great guidelines uh, for parents and honestly, any social media user to go by. So uh, yeah, here is uh, the interview with Dr. Rules. I am over the moon, you guys, today to have my guest on. That's Dr. Yelda T. Ools, and she has written a book called Media Moms and Digital Dads, A Fact-Not-Fear Approach to Parenting in the Digital Age. Uh, She also works at the Children's Digital Media Center at UCLA. And uh, Dr. Ools, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I loved your book. Um, part of the reason why I reached out to you and I wanted to talk to you about this is because I started this podcast and this blog, uh, a few months ago, sort of a blog. And I really had concerns as far as what's too much to post, um, of my child. Um, how involved am I getting in social media? And I would just, your book completely just, answered a lot of those questions for me. So now I want to take that information and share it with everybody who's listening. So first of all, um, tell me a little bit about your work at UCLA and why you decided to write this book. Well, um, thank you so much for the nice words about the book. I'm glad it was helpful. I, I wrote it because I really was learning a lot of great stuff at UCLA that I wanted to share with the world. Um, this is my second career. I um, was a film executive, a studio executive at MGM and Sony in my first career. And then I stepped off to be a parent mm-hmm. and took um, at least five to six years as a stay-at-home mom, I was very lucky to be home with my kids, but my brain was restless and I decided um, I was taking classes and all sorts of things and I decided to go back to school and study um, psychology, child psychology, and I was lucky enough to get into UCLA. And UCLA um, has a, because it's in Hollywood and because, um, you know, it's, it's a very particular environment, They had an organization called the um, Children's Digital Media Center um, that's run by Dr. Patricia Greenfield, who's a pioneer in the the world of media effects on children. And um, I studied media effects on children with her. And so I was effectively taking my um, past life, which was a media executive creating content, and my new life, which was a stay-at-home mom, and combining them, and and I was able to study this new field of media effects on children, and I've done a lot of research in that field, which I can share with you. Yeah, definitely. I want to touch on something really quick. Now, you said you used to work for MGM. What did you do at MGM? My last job there was Senior Vice President of Development and Production, which um, for those people who don't know the film business, it's basically working with writers and directors um, to create movies and television. That's amazing. And that's um, how I met my husband, who is a screenwriter. I was oh. his boss. Oh, <laughs> as it should be. <laughs> exactly. At home, too. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Because um, I know there's a lot of moms who listen to my show. Um, and honestly, you know, there's a lot of non-parents, too, actors who are listening, who are curious about that transition from being a mom, uh, being a working mom in this industry to then kind of like taking a step back and focusing on being a parent for a while, that can be a really tough thing to do. And you, you, so you left this rather high profile position at MGM and you said after being home for five or six years, you got a little restless. Um, I can totally relate to that. (laughs) I know if you feel guilty saying that because it's like, you know, your children are your everything and they should be your number one priority, but there, there is a little bit of restlessness there. So what, um, what made you decide on, um, child psychology? That's such a specific, um, field. I took a long time and, and you know, when I look back and when I talk to my friends, it, you know, and I have a lot of friends who are in that position as well, used to be executives with me that stepped off and are trying to figure out what they're going to do. It looks like I knew exactly what I was doing, but I really <laughs> didn't. I took a lot of time. I tried screenwriting. I tried web design. I tried writing fiction. Mm-hmm. And 
Then I went back and thought about what did I really enjoy that I never pursued, and psychology was something I was really interested in. And I took baby steps. First, I took an online course, then I took classes at a local community college. Mm -hmm. And as I found that I was really enjoying this, and I did this when my children were young, um, then I decided to go whole hog and (laughs) bite off a very big, big thing, which was the PhD. I mean, not everyone wants to do jump in that you know, deep. Yeah. And why don't you think you wanted to go back into the industry? Was it because it's content? I mean, I feel like sometimes the industry is not very conducive for family life. Is that part of the reason why you decided not to do that? Or were you just sort of burnt out? Honestly, I was burnt out. Um, I don't know if the particular position I had would have been conducive to being a parent. Um, I wasn't a parent while I was doing that job. Mm Um, it's certainly an industry filled, at least on the end I was at, um, with young people. Yeah. And so that sort of makes you think that as, as people get older, maybe they have families and they choose to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I went into the film business. I grew up in Berkeley and I went into the movie business to create media to change the world. Yeah. And the studio system, you know, isn't as in they're they're in the business to make money. Um, which is, you know, it's a corporation, as mm-hmm. everyone says, it's the entertainment business. Um, so that was, it, it wasn't well aligned with my goals. So um, that's so interesting. It was very, you know, and, and actually psychology has a, it's a study of human behavior. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially what being a creative person in the movie or television fictional industry is even even the nonfiction. you know yeah. you're studying human behavior so it's actually a really natural transition and I'm sure you know people that have gone on to be therapists and other things like that mm-hmm. um, from the movie industry or television industry so it, it was not as bizarre of a leap as I thought and child psychology I had children I was reading those developmental books anyway yeah <laughs> And I was fascinated by them. So. Me too. I've been, I, I feel like I'm this sponge um, that's sort of soaking up this whole other aspect of the world that for a long time I kind of largely ignored because I, my husband and I have been married almost 15 years. So we waited um, quite a while before we decided to have kids. And then once we had, once I had my daughter, it was like this world opened up and uh that had kind of shunned before and made fun of and was like oh I'm not gonna you know moms are gross or you know whatever I get it (laughs) you know where you kind of feel like ew you know parents uh they're wrestling with their kid at dinner how dare they uh, interrupt my dinner and I I have a totally different perspective on that now and I love reading um as much as I can about uh parenting and you know then forming my own opinions on uh, absolutely on how That's to sort do of, it. I mean, sort of my mythology about when I went back to school because mm-hmm. I I didn't really know I was going to become an author. I was going to keep doing research. I was going to work with nonprofits. I teach. I do all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I just told myself I was going back to sort of learn how to be a really good parent or what <laughs> the research said or to make my own opinion. Yeah. Um, and you know I have a. a I, I love research, so I will constantly refer to research. So there is a study that came out a few years ago that found out that mommy rats are smarter than they are than non-mommy rats. Oh, really? And even though we feel stupider, especially when your children are young, because your brain you aren't sleeping, you're so focused on your kids, you don't have time to spend reading the newspaper your world universe is expanding because now all of a sudden you're learning about your child, children, mm-hmm. right? You're learning right. about your, so you're spending all that t- energy that you're spending learning all these different things are actually expanding your brain cells. Yeah. What are your kids' names? Um, I don't like to share it on. Oh, well, okay. I, I guess I could. It's in the book. Uh, oh, okay. Their names aren't actually in the book, but I thank them. It's Walker and Chloe. Well, see, that's interesting because you um, are talking about social media in your book. And I, that was one of my questions I wanted to ask you is if you are a blogger and how much you personally share about your kids and your family. I personally share a lot in the book about stories, about um what is to, to make it relatable, I talk about sort of the issues that I've been in that um, I know are challenging for parents. Mm-hmm. And then then I talk about the research that sort of helped me struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have the I don't put their names in. Okay. Um, 
which, you know, it's not that hard to figure out a name, but I don't put their names in. I just recently wrote a piece for somebody. They asked for a picture of my daughter. I didn't feel comfortable giving it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that they are entitled to as much <laughs> privacy as I can give them. Um, and children, you know, when they're really young, they're so cute and it's so natural to want to share them mm-hmm. with everyone in your circle and to want to share, you know, I mean, you want to share them the in person, you want to share them in the past, we shared them with albums, you know, mm-hmm. sending pictures to grandma or Christmas cards. But um, in this world today, where it's so easy to share them, and then it's permanent. Mm-hmm. And um, they may find those photos later on. Uh, I feel it's a little bit, um, it's risky. Yeah. Because as they turn to into adolescence, preteens, they start to become very self conscious. Um, and they they may not appreciate the photos you stuck up of them when they were younger. Okay, so I have a lot of follow-up questions with that, but I want to back up a little bit. Um, Pardon me. In the book, you talk about um, how you think that we're in a very unique time in history as far as our children's media choices. Um, One thing that struck me was that children are spending more time with their TV uh, than parents or school and that uh, I too love statistics and numbers and information and that to me was really surprising Um, why do you think that is well first of all it's it's available everywhere there are screens you know portable screens that you can take to places that you could never take them before so it makes it very easy to have media on top of it there's um, there is content choices that are targeted to children, so they're not, you know, going to be bored watching something the parents watch um, or adults in their arena are watching. There are things that are very specifically made for them. So, you know, I mean, we're all consuming way more media than we used to. Um, it's just the world we are in today. And that has an effect on the kids um, socially, emotionally. Um, uh, you talk about the cultural norms, the social and cultural norms. That's now where they're learning um, the types of behaviors that when we were growing up, we would learn uh, outside playing with our friends or interactions at school. Now you're saying um, that they're learning these types of things from their TV shows or tablets. Um do you think that, um, oh, what was the thing you said? Oh, 78% of very young kids use tablets or smartphones. Uh, that's incredible to me. Um, do you think that it's because a lot of parents are using them as babysitters? Like they're just like, hey, I need a break. Like go watch this. Or have we become lazy as parents? It's, it's. I mean, we used to do put them in front of the TV or hand them a toy or hand them a book. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just such an easy intuitive thing for them to play with that um, it's we do use it as a distractor the 78% statistic is not that they it's that they're in their households and they've been exposed to it and Mm -hmm. and as you saw probably that it jumped quite a bit from 2011 to 2013 Um, so it doesn't mean that every kid is touching one of these things. 78% of the kids are touching these things every day. It just means it's in their environment and it wasn't before. So, um, and it doesn't mean that they own them. The household has it. Um, so I know a lot of parents just think that, um, that there's no, there's nothing wrong with it. Like they think it's totally fine because it makes them happy. It makes, it keeps the kid quiet. Um, it, uh, gives the parents a break and, um, they don't see anything wrong with it at all. And I know, um, that kind of leads me into what the APA is recommending. No screen time until two uh, or under two, I should say. Is that a realistic goal? Because everybody, it seems like every household has the TV on it, you know, at all times. And yeah, I mean, background TV is something that there's been a lot of research on and Mm -hmm. it is not children absorb way more than we think they do and it is it can distract them from learning from their environment so background TV is not a great thing to have on but having a little bit of screen time under two is completely fine even up to an hour a day in fact, children won't really pay that much attention to it when they're very young. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, there's so many other things that are interesting to them that they want to learn from that they are 
wired to learn from. They're wired to learn more from walking around, following you around the house than from sitting in front of a video screen because they don't understand that that video screen means anything about the real world. It takes a while for that understanding to blossom. So, um, you know, a little, a little especially okay. a little is okay. And especially if you have two kids, it's going to be impossible not to have the television on. And frankly, honestly, I personally feel if you're out to dinner and, you know, spend 10 or 15 minutes without giving them the device, try to teach them to sit in, you know, as much as you can, but then let the adults have a few minutes of conversation. There's nothing wrong with handing them something that's going to, you know, allow you to have a conversation and, you know, they're not going to be able, you can't interact with your children every minute of every day. You know, you really cannot. I think that's a big um, lesson to learn too. That's something that I had to come to terms with. And I think a lot of my mommy friends are still coming to terms with it's you feel guilty if, yep. if you're not um, constantly there giving them fun, creative things to do, if you're not the Pinterest mom who's got arts and crafts, you know, lined up, ready to go. Um, and my friend Teresa, who has four kids, actually told me, you know, she said, you cannot, you are not her playmate for life and you can't be expected to be because it's just not fair to her and it's not fair to you. And that made a lot of sense to me. Um, I had a friend who... Um, had uh, my first actually I should say my first experience with the whole screen time thing was I had a friend who had a six month old and we were at a car wash and there was a TV on in the distance like quite a ways away with CNN or something on it and she freaked out and was like we have to leave immediately because he's not allowed to have screen time until he's two and it could give him ADHD and I was just like what are you talking about he's like drooling on himself he's not watching tv so I just feel like sometimes it gets taken to the extreme so it's a huge relief for me to hear and read in your book um that is a little bit is okay as long as we don't like you know everything in moderation I suppose yeah I mean I think if there are experiences that the child is going to be fine is not going to scream and have a tantrum is going to you know like in the stroller they've created these strollers where you can put an ipad yeah, in yeah i've seen and, those you know that i think is dangerous because they they're going to be fine most kids are fine when you're strolling them they're interested in looking around and staring at people or taking a nap or looking at the light they need to learn those things. Mm-hmm. Those are the things they need to learn when they're very young. They're not going to learn from that screen. And so in those instances, or that, um, you know, the, the baby bouncy, like where you put the iPad and the kid's strapped into the bouncy Right, chair. and they have nowhere to yeah. look but that That's screen. Not, yeah. I do not recommend those at all. I yeah. mean, those are those are um, instances where the child should be able to be entertained by themselves or their environment, and they need to learn from their environment. But in other instances where the parent needs a break, or um, you know, you're out somewhere and it's going to be awkward with the kid squirming and mm-hmm. screaming, it's totally fine. Yeah. I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) There is research to back this up. Yes, and there is research too. So um, basically that just makes me feel better because that's what I've been doing. (laughs) That is my validation. Um, Good to hear that. Okay, so uh, you talk about a couple of different things like um, in in terms of like what household environments there are. You said media-centric, media-moderate, and media-light. Yep. Um, what are the differences between those three and should we be striving to be one or the other? No, the point of that was, and that came from research out of Northwestern was that there are all different kinds of households. And frankly, if you, the media light, which was the parents that watch under or use under two hours media a day, mm-hmm. um, there, that's a very small percentage of America. Yeah. This was a nationwide sample and a lot of you, you feel like every, nobody else is consuming media and yet only, you know, 18% or 17% of, of families with kids under eight purport to be media light parents. So um, the reality is most people consume way more than we assume. And um, it, the, the point of that was really that your kids are going to end up being like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to end up, my family, my husband's a screenwriter, um, I love movies. I was in the film business. I watched them all the time. Um, we 
we are into media and our children are too. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I am a media lover. When media is good, I think there's nothing like it. Yeah. Um, so I think that um, it can teach some amazing things. And so the, the point is, if you are a one of the um, people that use media a lot, your children will probably use media a lot. You know, yeah, we do. If you're medium, they will be medium. If you're light, they'll be light. And so, look to yourself and your own. Be, don't don't tell tell your kids do what I say, not as I do, because they're going to do what so, you do. Exactly, and in fact, they learn that way. Our brains are wired to learn that way. Um, so you also talk about this part um, called perceptual narrowing. I used to do this thing with my daughter um, when she was born. I always just joked around and I called it faces time. And when she was little, little, I would hold her in my arms and uh, a few times throughout the day and I would just make faces at her, you know, like different, you know, smiling and frowning and, you know, grinning and all all different kinds of faces. And um, she loved it. She seemed to really enjoy it. And then when I read uh, Perceptual Narrowing, I was like, I think that's maybe what I did. But it (laughs) (laughs) maybe I just had a a much less smart name for it. Yeah, that's, it's a confusing name. It's a very scientific name. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> we just called it Faces Time. Um, yeah. But that's important um, because kids learn a lot. You say in the book how much they learn from just watching mom and dad, watching your faces, watching things in their environment as opposed to watching something on a screen or um, a tablet or TV or anything like that. Absolutely. They have to look at faces. And what you were doing was teaching her about nonverbal cues, which are cues without talking, basically. Mm -hmm. And when kids are young, that's what they're really learning, you know, besides the motor skills of walking and moving their bodies and all those things. They're also learning about, um, you know, what the environment is telling them about whether the environment is safe and friendly and part of that is looking at faces and is the face angry is the face happy you know I mean I've since I I did a study um where I looked at kids ability to learn nonverbal cues and since then I look at babies all the time and you know they stare at you yeah and that is they're staring at you to learn about your face they really are they just they are so good at grabbing your eyes and looking at you and it's because they are absorbing this information that is necessary for their survival is yeah, I was gonna say isn't that sort of where they pick up on their instinct of um, good and bad and yes. um, uh, you know anybody who's gonna cause harm and that sort of thing Absolutely. I mean, you know, there there are these really sad um, orphans in Romania where there's been a lot of research on those orphans and there's not enough um, adults to take care of them and they lie on their back and there's not enough face time. Mm-hmm. And those kids develop abnormally because they do not have the ability to look at faces and learn from them. Oh, and there's a sad. certain point, that's why, you know, there's a certain point where that ability to learn, you sort of focus on whatever is in your environment. And those first 10 months, what what is in your environment, that's what perceptual narrowing means. You, you sort of decide, this is what's important for me to learn, and now I'm going to build on that. Okay. And so in those first 10 months, if you're not seeing anything like those Romanian babies, you stop being able to learn in the same way a typically developing kid does. And that can lead to social problems in the future? Absolutely. And learning problems as well? Absolutely. Um, That's so fascinating to me. And how heartbreaking for those babies. Oh, it's so heartbreaking, those kids. It really is. Um, You also have a really great chapter where you talk about uh, parents using their phone too much. Yeah. Um, I actually went to the blog that you listed parents on phones just to make sure I wasn't on it. <laughs> because I am so bad about that, especially after starting this show. Um, the need for social media interaction and like tweeting and um, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebooking, all of it. Um, I'm also periscoping now. Right before our interview, I periscoped that we were going to do an interview and I reached out to the audience to see if anybody had any questions for us. So um, I, I just feel a lot of pressure to be on social media. Now, of course, it's. Um, dual for me because I'm also an actor Um, and there's a need for actors especially now to have a social presence 
and to um, be quippy and funny and um, smart on Twitter and social media. So they gain all these followers and then they look more attractive to, like you said, the business side of things. Um, good news. I was not on parents on phones. <laughs> I was not on the blog. Um, I, I just, it makes me wonder though, if parents are truly distracted from their kids or if they're just trying to multitask, um, and they're working, you know, what's, what, is there an answer to this problem? Cause it, it is a problem for sure. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword. I mean, I remember one time being very judgy and seeing these, this family, mom and dad at a bus stop the kid was in between them and they were both looking at their phones and I we were in San Francisco traveling and I was like oh those parents and then I thought (laughs) well what if they're able to be with the kid on a vacation out in the middle of the day because they have the phone because of it they're working so what's better so I would say that the it is fine to multitask I do the same thing but then just make it really clear that when you're with your child, you're with your child, you know, and it doesn't have to be 24 seven, whatever it is, if it's, you know, you're taking them playground, you know, 10 minutes hanging out with them, and then they're going to run around and go on your phone. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's totally fine. I think that um, you just have to make them understand it's not appropriate to always be on your phone. I know. Uh, I knew I was in trouble the other day, and this is so bad. I'm about to admit this. Um, I was uh, getting in my car, and I had my daughter Channing in the back seat, uh, in her car seat. And um, before I started the car, she goes, Mama, need phone? (laughs) And I went, no, no. And I realized it's because she sees me using the phone while I'm in the car and while I'm driving. And I was like, oh my God, that's horrible. Like, so now I try to like tuck it away and like make sure it's not visible because I definitely do not want her growing up thinking it's okay to be on your phone while you're driving or um, on your phone that much. Like there, I'm struggling with trying to find the healthy line between launching my business and my podcast and uh, my show and like trying to create this um, brand for myself, but also not constantly be on my phone, you know, and it's, it's 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 a struggle. It's a struggle for everyone, but you have to find times that you can delineate that are just about your family that are not about distract distractions with the work or the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and those times they can be as little as 15 minutes a day. When I was, when I had little babies, when they Mm -hmm. were young, um, we would take parenting classes and they would tell us, spend 10 minutes on the floor with your child, just Mm -hmm. 10 minutes, 10 minutes. You look them in the eye, you play with them. It's all about them. And that's all they need. They need a lot less than we think they need, right? but they do need something. They do do need rolling around on the floor with my little one. Now it's more like she's jumping on me and she's two and a half. And it's like, a there's no more just relaxing on the floor together. Oh, it's no. like, oh, I'm, I'm a jungle this, gym. <laughs> but 10 minutes on the floor was when the kids were in preschool. Yeah. Even. So you're yeah. playing 10 minutes, you know, Legos with them or 10 mm-hmm. minutes, whatever their thing that you want to play. But it's the same thing with the phone. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is. This is time where there's no phone. So... Uh, it, when parents are using the phone so much, it sort of um, seems to be carrying over a lot to kids who are also using the phone, teenagers, preteens even. Like, you know, I don't know if parents are giving elementary school kids phones. I hope not, but I think it does happen. Um, oh, yeah, they do. Oh, for sure. It, it just you know, I sound very sanctimonious right here saying this, but I'm just like, why, why do, why does a seven-year-old need a cell phone? Um, I, I'm wondering if it's because of our need for fame. Um, fame has been such a huge draw, uh, and attraction, um, that everybody's sort of striving for. It's this thing. I want to be famous. I want to be rich and famous. And I think social media has played a big part in that. And you talk about that a little bit in your book. Yeah, I did research. So when I, when my child was um, in fourth grade, when I started graduate school, I um, was concerned that many of the television shows seemed to be portraying fame. Hannah Montana was big then Mm -hmm. um, as a real goal that kids could achieve very easily. 
and I did a study where I looked at television starting from 67, 77, 87, 97, 2007. I looked at the values that were portrayed in each of these shows, the top shows for tweens, you know, eight to 11 year olds. Mm -hmm. And the kids, the shows completely um, changed. So the values that were number one in every decade before 2007 was community feeling and fame was at number 16. And in 2007, fame was the first value, and it um, community feeling was number 11. Wow. So it was a pretty dramatic change between yeah. 97 and 2007. And, you can know, I blame the Kardashians for that? Because I absolutely like to. <laughs> reality TV, you know, was certainly a huge piece of it. Mm-hmm. And then social media, social media, and then television, fictional television which is what I was mainly looking at, um, had taken these these things that were happening in the zeitgeist. They were out there, and they were creating shows that were just reflecting that for kids. So, like iCarly, for example, you know, they had that they had a um, that was a show about two teenage girls who were in high school, and they had their own website, and they had they were really popular because of their website. So kids want to be popular, mm-hmm. you know. And this is just playing into that, like, oh, if you you're famous, you'll be popular. And even the principal wanted to be on their show, so they got like credibility with the high school, you know, yeah, teachers, with the adults principal, and... yeah. And that stuff. Though, then I did focus groups. I did a um, I did a um, nationwide survey, and I found like social media and and kids were very aware of these messages and they were picking up on them and interpreting them and wanting to be like these role models that they were seeing and they were also really excited about the ability to be able to like get an audience you know and and beyond the schoolyard and social media certainly helps with that so it's like validation that they're getting um in terms of like likes and comments and you know hearts or whatever the depending on the social media app um that kids are getting and isn't it sort of like a false sense of validation though well i mean it's similar to what you get in the offline world i mean if if someone tells you cute shirt you know Mm -hmm. it's the same thing and they may they may be right or they may be you know they may be telling you the truth or they may just being nice or they may be, you know, being yeah, a yeah. girl. You just never know. It's just not, it's it's exaggerated here. The numbers are bigger, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it's, but it is a way to sort of develop your identity and figure out who you are. So, you know, when we were growing up, that's all, the only way we could figure out who we were, you know, because you figure it out, not really internally, but also externally, how the world you know, responds to you. And views you, yeah. Yeah, and what you're good at and what you're getting validation for being good at and what you're getting validation for being um, in the social world, in the academic world, all these different worlds, you know, and that sort of shapes who you are. Now they can do that online as well. So they can put up a photo of a certain thing and get mm-hmm. validated for it. The problem is it's it's recreating stereotypes online. So girls are getting validated for looking pretty mm-hmm. and yeah. popular girls have more likes, you know, than everybody else. So it's it's sort of like everything that's offline on steroids. Right. I can't imagine me trying to be a teenager right now and having to find my identity online or in a social media setting I feel like I would be it would be a largely false probably because you want to project a certain image um and that's something I worry about you know as as my daughter gets older like how much do I want her to be involved in social media do I want to just put my head in the sand and say not at all (laughs) and be like nope you're gonna be in you're gonna do sports and dance and like you know not even worry about all this online stuff um it's a it's a lot to think about in terms of parenting and i i feel like though even as a parent we're looking for likes and validation and comments um online in the same way that kids are too because i have you know a lot of parents are posting tons of pictures of their kids like when i when i talked to um a couple of moms about doing this show Almost every one of them said, oh, I never post pictures of my kids. I hardly ever do it. And I'm like, then why do I see your kid's picture (laughs) 
every 10 seconds in my timeline. I think there's a big disconnect between what parents think they're doing and what they're actually doing in posting so much um, on social media. And it, you know, I'm curious to know if that helps. Um, I think it's, it is validating, I'm sure, as a parent to be like, oh, I got, you know, 300 likes on this picture, my kid's first day of school picture. And um, is this because we need that validation in parenting? Is that why so many parents, do you think, are posting so much? We need that validation in everything. Yeah. I mean, it is human to want validation. Um, and it, it activates, there's been some studies, I think I talk about it in the book, where it activates the reward system, which, you know, is a system that is activated for any pleasurable activity. So you're still getting, you're getting that slight sort of reward system, mm-hmm. um, you know, feeling when when you post something and you get likes. So it's totally natural to want it. The question is, you know, do you want to trade it on your child Um, and what is, what is, think about, try to think about project into 10 years into the future. What will your child, um, think about when this picture is posted and they find it? Yeah. Where do we, where do we draw the line there when too much is, when it's too much posting, you know, like I, 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 that's something I struggle with is because I don't want to violate her privacy and her, future adult self you know but it's it is so hard in today's social media world where you want to be like look how cute she is and you know (laughs) put her picture up for everybody to see and and so I struggle with that a lot and I you know some parents don't at all they just post everything and anything and it's no big deal to them so absolutely there's I have two or three friends and relatives that post so much so much and and you know I honestly don't recommend it. Mm-hmm. I really do not think you should be posting nonstop pictures of your child. I think you really should think about it. They're going to notice it. Then they're going to want to do it themselves. And mm-hmm. then you're going to deal with, you know, when they have the ability to post themselves, them seeing and having learned from you that it was okay as well. And you don't want them to post pictures of themselves right. all the time. Right. So um, especially, you know, as they're figuring out what's appropriate and not appropriate. Um, so it's, I struggle. I don't, you know, I don't obviously say anything, but I, I think you really need to think about each and every picture. Um, and if you, it's completely natural to want to share pictures mm-hmm. and, and, you know, maybe you do it on a little email chain with three or four family members or you create a closed group for the people that, you know, you want to share every little moment with grandma or, you know, relatives, but then, or very close friends. But when you're making it public, I think you have to think about it. Now there is 4.2, I think I read this statistic, 4.2 million mommy bloggers um, in the U.S. alone. That's not even like around the world. Um, moms who use their kids basically as the jumping off point for their writings, for their blogging, for their, you know, um, uh, few, uh, new businesses, whatever it might be. Um, some of them use their kids in every post. Some of them use, you know, very little. Like, I guess it just depends on the mom uh, and her style. But that to me was fascinating. I was like, there's 4.2 million mommy bloggers out there talking about their kids. Um, there's one blog in particular called Asshole Parents. It's a very popular hashtag. If you look for it on Instagram, um, there's a Tumblr page. And basically, it's parents showing their kids like having a tantrum or being a jerk, you know, not being very nice. Um, you know, like I made her fresh baked cookies uh, because I'm an asshole parent and it's her like throwing a fit or for whatever reason. So when I see that at first, it's like, oh, that's funny. But then it's like, oh, how sad your four year old is clearly having a moment and you just put it on the Internet for everybody to see what happens when she's 14 and the mean girls in high school find that picture and make fun of her like does that happen do you know where where do we draw the line for at their privacy yeah exactly i mean daniel the dentist the dentist kid that's the number one youtube video yeah. where the kid or no that's charlie bit my finger charlie which is bit another my finger. one <laughs> and then they have the daniel one where he's on novocaine so i mean both those kids are they're all in puberty, mm-hmm. um, you know, they may have made some money. Their parents may have made some money off of these things. And there's also the kids that open toys on YouTube channels. Right. Um, 
Have and they're disappointed this? with what they got or whatever. Yeah. I mean, pe- parents are creating businesses around their kids mm-hmm. and that's nothing new. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there have been child stars, you know, and, right. and it's just a, it's a bigger, a, we have more ability to do that than we ever did before. And that's something I'm, like I've said before, I'm struggling with. I'm trying to find a balance between um, being creative and sharing this sort of newfound love for parenting and being a mom that I have, but not violating her privacy. And... I mean, I, I think, you know, some of it's relatable. So so if it's from right. your point of view right. that, look, I've gone through this too, and, you know, my child did this and I felt this way and I, I can understand and I'm not going to judge you because everyone goes through that. That's, that's the tone I took with the book was, mm-hmm. look, I've gone through this and this and this and here's how I felt and here's how I came out versus, you know, just posting something. I mean, you know, posting something about your child having a tantrum, you're not really sharing anything except your child acting you know like a kid does right right they <laughs> but, all do you know that. can be yeah. portrayed in different ways so mm-hmm. i think if you're if your take is i'm tr- and you respect your child's privacy you know you really talk to them about it i i have to make a book trailer and we thought about um creating a video with my children because my husband does these little funny videos with them and we mm-hmm. he's made some very funny ones but then someone said, you know, don't do that. And I talked to my kids. I decided on my own not to do it. But I even talked, I did talk to my son. And he was like, I don't want to be on it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, you know, and they're old enough now to say that if they were little and I had just gone ahead, yeah. you know, that's the kind of thing that's out there. What if kids and- are saying, oh, yeah, mommy, I do want to be on it. Like, because I've read there are some kids who are like, how many likes did I get on your post? Yeah, there's lots of kids. Like do you respect? That. Yeah, do you uh, then have to say rein it in and go? You know what? I'm just going to make the choice not to post so much. Or if they seem to be enjoying it, do you go? Oh, okay, sure. Well, no harm, no foul. Kind of. Thing. I talk about this in the book. There is a movie called Men, Women, and Children that um, Jason Reitman wrote uh-huh. that got that critics hated it. I know so many people that hated it. It is quite dark. And it has um, some worst case scenarios of what can happen with the internet. It was certainly not perfect. However, I felt it was completely accurate in some of the struggles that parents have. And one of the moms has the struggle of helping her child try to become famous because she wants to be a good mom and help her child, Mm -hmm. but then crossing that line and when she had to pull it back. I mean, it's a really... How interesting. If you haven't thought about it and you haven't gone through it, you may not relate to it and you may feel that it's not, it's over the top. It's not applicable or, yeah. But I believe that many of the scenarios in that movie are so true to parenting and some of the struggles. They, they heighten it just mm-hmm. like any, you know, and, and some of it is, you know, really sort of an extreme thing, but it certainly reflects struggles that I see parents going through. And one of them is, you know, what do you do when your child seems to be the one driving this? Right. I have a lot, as an actor, um, I have a lot of friends who have babies and quite a few of them have just recently had kids and they're already like taking them to commercial auditions and like getting them agents and headshots and People ask me all the time if I want to do that for my daughter. And my answer is usually I I can barely get myself to an audition some days. I can't imagine trying to also get her to an audition and get her headshots and all of that stuff. So that's not really something I want to do right now. But down the road, if she's older, if it's something she expresses interest in, I will, you know, help her in that way. But it would be with hesitation. Because yeah. I just, you know, so many child actors grow up and, like, have problems. And because they're in the, you know, the limelight, nothing about their life is private anymore once you, be, you know, cross that certain level as a, an actor, uh, as a child actor, I should say. Um, and I, I love what you're saying about privacy and, um, you know, drawing the line somewhere in posting pictures of your kids. Like, I have several friends who post um 
naked pictures of the kids, their kids mm. topless, um, sonograms, lots of sonogram pictures. My goodness. Um, <laughs> it's, it's crazy to me. It's like, wow, they haven't even come out yet. And they're already all over social media, you know, it's like true. give them a shot. Um, there's a group called mommy to mommy. I don't know if you've heard of this group on Facebook. I have. Yeah. Oh Lord. This group is something I love and I hate because so many personal details are shared on this about women's struggles with their spouses. Um, there's pictures of their kids' poops and weird rashes and stuff. And it's like, you guys, this is permanent. This is going to be on the internet forever. And it seems so like so casually they just post these things. And I wonder if Maybe most parents are just not aware of the dangers um, of posting too much personal information on Facebook, or do you think it's just they just don't care and they want the attention? It's probably a bit of both, mm-hmm. um, but taking it for, from the they aren't aware, one story you can share is that one woman stuck her kid taking a poop um on the internet and she found it a few years later on a porn site (gasps) oh no yeah oh my god that gives me chills that's so gross see and that's what i say is i'm like why would you even like uh, my friend natalie and i were talking about this the other day and um i said i made a comment about um how i was excited about interviewing you because i'm wanted to ask you about you know parents posting topless pictures of their kids and things like that and um she said well we just have to stop sexualizing kids and my feeling is that it's like i don't know that we can make predators stop sexualizing kids but we certainly don't have to make it easier for them by putting stuff out there with our kids naked or their rashes or their butts or you know yeah and i would i'm not sure that's sexualizing it's just sharing these bizarre parenting things or trying you know mm-hmm. who knows what what the motivation is I mean well I think by saying that it's um that it's kind of creepy or that it's you know makes people uncomfortable to see naked pictures of your kids um online uh she was saying that that was sexualizing the kids like why would it make you uncomfortable it's just a naked you know four-year-old and I'm like well it doesn't make me uncomfortable uh, but I know that there are some grown men or women, you know, who who may be uncomfortable by that. Yeah, I mean, they're they're certainly a dark, dark side to the internet, mm-hmm. and and you never know what's what's going to happen to the photo. I have teachable moments, a few teachable moments on the in the book, and I'm building that part up on my website where you know basically worst case scenarios of what have what has happened, mm-hmm. and you know you. I've used them. I use them with my kids. I started when they were very young talking to them about mistakes children and adults made, thinking that what they posted was private and the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you really have to think about that. You know, it's it you I know people in my daughter's school who are doing just stuff that you just don't even think it's you think it's in the news, but it's happening to children all the time. So on top of just thinking about your own actions and what you're modeling for your children and their privacy, you also have to think about what are you teaching them? Yeah. And if you're teaching them that it's okay to post anything like that online, it's going to make your job as a parent very much harder when they're a teenager. And they're they're thinking it's okay to post like yeah. half naked pics or yeah. whatever. Like, and oh. you'll be, you won't be wanting them to do that. No. And they're going to need to learn what is appropriate and not appropriate. And if you haven't modeled for them smart, you know, posting, reflecting before you hit that button, mm-hmm. um, they're not going to learn it as easily. Now, talking about kids growing up um, in this social media environment, uh, you mentioned that uh, you talk a little bit about all of the new jobs that are going to be created in the future for social media um, and uh, how kids, although we may be um, cautious around social media, we still have to include it in our lives because it's such a rapidly growing industry. Like your, your child may want to grow up and be a social media strategist. Like that could be a career. It may even, I think, be a job right now. Yeah. A job. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so how can we as parents then, 
um, find that balance between social media and making sure they're still staying connected. They have that human connection with people. I think that it's just modeling and talking to them and teaching them. Um, the, if you, it, there's nothing wrong with social media and social media serves wonderful purposes for many, many people. And it's, as I wrote in the book, it meets basic human needs. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's part of the reason it's expanded, you know, so rapidly. Um, children just need to know how to use it wisely and appropriately. And that's why you can't, you know, you said something about wanting to bury your child, never give your child a phone, never have them do anything. Yeah, bury head of the scene. I don't recommend that <laughs> at all. I recommend you teaching them slowly but surely um, how to do it. And because you don't want them to feel left out, you don't want them to not have the skills, you don't want them to be a freak because everybody else is doing this stuff and they're not part of it. Um, you want to help them learn how to do it in a really smart way. And, you know, by the time they get to where they're applying for jobs in college, you want what's online about them when someone's Googling them or looking them up to look really good. Yeah. And, you know, if they don't have anything online, people are going to think that's weird. Yeah. I do think, I think about that a lot. I think about her future self. I mean, I'm not like, oh, she's going to run for president, but I do think about her future social imprint, you know, her uh, internet imprint and what I'm going to be leaving behind. I mean, you know, even though we're talking about this and I'm giving examples of a lot of other people, I too am super guilty of posting pictures of her and I've never posted any of her naked. I've made a, a, a concentrated effort not to do that. Um, but I, I, I love her so much and I think she's the cutest thing in the world. And, you know, and I, there are a lot of times when I, I share too much with her. So I definitely, I'm not standing up on a pedestal by any means, <laughs> which is why I'm so fascinated by this. And I was so enjoyed reading your book. You, um, one last thing before we wrap up, I want to talk about, you referenced the movie Wally. Yeah. I do that all the time. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, you guys. We are moments away from being just like the people in Wally because everybody is in front of their tablets. Nobody's talking anymore. I can't tell you the last time one of my friends actually picked up the phone to call me and talk to me on the phone. It's always text. It's always uh, Facebook messages or via Twitter or something. And um, I kind of miss that. I don't know if maybe that's because I'm old fashioned, but I miss that. And I, I so see our future being like Wally. <laughs> I know. I worry about it all the time. Plus, like, you know, going around in a little circle, never moving your body. <laughs> I know. We just become these gelatinous blobs yeah. on a, on a like a, a, a hoverboard or something. Uh, hopefully that will not happen. But then we've got, like, creative people and filmmakers to mm -hmm. show us the worst case scenario or to talk yeah. to us about this stuff. And hopefully the children will internalize it. I mean, they're already getting like, so kids are getting some social norms around this stuff. So, you know, I have, I have hope in humanity. Um, and I love that you do. And I, that totally comes across in your book. And, um, I'm so glad you came on the show today because with your history in the industry, uh, being an executive at MGM and crossing over and, and to psychology and studying, uh, social media with children, I think it's fascinating. And, um, I'm totally recommending your book to everybody. Thank um, you. There's a lot more in your book as well. I love that each chapter has a helpful wrap up and takeaway um, on the science behind the information you just gave. Um, also in the book, I want to mention there's uh, chapters on how the internet affects the brain, how kids are using social media to enhance their relationships, and what you can do as a parent to keep up with social media trends uh, as well. And um, really quick, I want to mention you have some upcoming appearances. Is yes. that right? Oh, yeah. I wanted to actually, because this is probably relevant for people that live in Los Angeles, I'm going to be at um, Bel Air Press. Um, it's a and it's for preschool audience parents with preschool kids mm -hmm. bella press is on mulholland if you go to my site um the address is there and the registration um and then i have a book signing on october 27th at diesel books in brentwood and one in san francisco as well on october 28th and then i'm going to be in new jersey if anyone's in new jersey um and that's going to be on my site as well. And the book actually comes out on October 27th. And people can buy a hard copy and download it? Yep. 
you can either get an ebook or um, paperback. Um, you can pre-order it if you want. The, there's connect on my site. You can get it from Barnes and Noble everywhere, basically. Bookstores near you. Bookstores <laughs> near you. Hopefully, yes. one day in the airport. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. Ah, the ultimate author's dream is yeah. to be the book in, at the bookstore in the airport. <laughs> um, and real quick, what is your website where people it's can find Yelda you? T Rules. Y A L D A T U H L S dot com. Or you can do in the digital age, it points there in even the name of the book, Media Moms and Digital Dads. And what about social media outlets for you? Are you on the Twitter? Are you on Instagram or Facebook? Can anybody find you in any of those places? Or yes. are yes. you shunning them away? No. <laughs> no, I'm I'm not I'm focusing on the writing and the research and the work. So the social media is not my primary concern at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a Twitter handle um, in the digital age and uh, Media Moms and Digital Dads for my Facebook. Perfect. And I know I'm not doing the social media stuff the way you're supposed to. So <laughs> I need a social media strategist. <laughs> I know, right? Anybody, help, help. Because it's like, we. I want to do it and do it well, but who has time? Who has yeah, time for that? Exactly. Um, I mean, I another <laughs> author was like, what do you do? I can't do it. And I said, you know what? Just focus on the work because that's ultimately yeah. what will get you wherever you want to go. You got to do the work. You. And people will find you somehow in some way and connect with you for sure. Um, Also, I'm going to have all of this information on my website as well, motherhoodandhollywood.com. So you guys can find Dr. Ools there uh, as well. And um, I want to say thank you so much. I feel like I will have a million more questions as soon as we're done recording. um, Because I could honestly talk about this for uh, a while now, but I'll let you get back to your your life and your work. Thank you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure and um, congratulations on your podcast. And, you know, it sounds like you're doing great stuff and maybe you'll have a big transition too. Yeah. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would, that would be lovely. It seems like it's working. Yeah, I think so. A lot of people are really enjoying the show and that um, is the ultimate goal. That makes me happy. So, um, thank you again. And everybody, make sure you check out Dr. Ool's book. It's coming out on October 27th, Media Moms and Digital Dads, A Fact Not Fear Approach to Parenting in the Digital Age. And uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week on Motherhood in Hollywood. Bye. Mama funny. Balls.